With all the complexities, obstacles, and frustrations facing medical providers today, you still have peers out there getting things done and moving medicine forward. Who are they, and how are they doing it? Welcome to Peer Spectrum, the show where we uncover the creative solutions, innovative tools, and advanced practices of our peers throughout the full spectrum of healthcare. Here are your hosts, Keith Mencken and Colin Miller. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. We're glad to have you. Today, we have Dr. Michael Sims joining us as our guest. Michael is a chiropractor in Dallas, Texas, originally from Northeast Pennsylvania. He pursued his studies at Parker College of Chiropractic Medicine in Dallas, Texas. He's board certified with the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners, and he is in solo practice. We had a great conversation with him, and we really dug deep on some of his daily habits, the structure of his office, some things he learned early on going into solo practice, and things he's still learning today. Take a look. I think you're going to enjoy it. And without further delay, please welcome Dr. Michael Sims. Welcome aboard. This is our, our first interview, so we're really excited. Well, good. I'm glad to be here. Maybe if we just start out here, you've been in practice for a while. You know, Just take us back a few steps to when you just came out of school and give us an idea of how you established your reputation in the community, how you began your practice, some of the challenges you had and, and lessons learned there. Well, when I first started practicing, it was uh, another chiropractor and I had started together. We both opened an office together and we were implementing a lot of the tools that we learned throughout school and various practices that we each worked for separately uh, after school. And, um, you know, tools such as physical therapy and we were using massage therapist and a wide range of different things. Um, and we were just meeting people everywhere we could, basically. So, um, so obviously he had an established presence in the community. Um, that helped you out. Um, what kinds of meetings did you go to, society meetings? Did you knock on doors? What were a lot of the activities that, that you were engaged in early on to get your name out? Yeah, we knocked on a lot of doors. I actually literally, when I first opened Sims Chiropractic, I went door to door in the neighborhood close to my office, and I just knocked on the door, uh, introduced myself if someone answered, and um, I just saw if they needed any help, and if not, I'd... it was just basically a friendly hello, and I'm here. Sure. Did you find that you got resistance sometimes, whereas the, you know, when you're looking at the competitors in the community... Um, obviously there was enough demand and you built up a practice, but were there challenges early on to, to gain the trust of patients and, and referring physicians? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When uh, you're a new doctor out in the field, most people, they would prefer a doctor with more experience. And so I think a lot that would have to come through or that did need to come through was confidence in what it is that we could and would do for the patients. I think that was definitely key, especially in the beginning. I mean, it's obviously important now, but we had to build that confidence pretty quick. I can imagine. A lot of our viewers, I think, are going to be residents. They're going to be in medical school, and they're thinking about their career starting out just around the corner. I mean, that's an important question when a patient wants to know how many years of experience you've had. And when you get that question early on in your career, how would you answer that? And how would you develop confidence in that patient? Yeah, it's, um, it's probably one of the most difficult things, especially when you first graduate, you are 
nor I was relatively young and young looking and people that are older than you, they have trouble. I mean, they see the degrees and that helps, but, um, the respect thing actually comes into play for sure. They're like, okay, you're so young. How are you actually a doctor or stuff like that? I mean, depending on how young the people to graduate. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a learning curve in the beginning, trying to figure out how to gain the confidence or gain their trust, I should say. Um, <clears throat> I can't say I really have any tried and true way to, to figure it out. I just, like I said, uh, exude confidence and do a good job. I think the, uh, uh, Mike, that the, um, the chiropractors have a little bit of advantage over the um, medical doctors in that what you do is much more hands-on, it's much more personal. So once you get people in the door, I think you develop trust fairly quickly. Um, is there anything specific that you recommend uh, once you have the person in the door? Do, do you, is there a, an approach you have towards uh, people who come back? Um, you know, make sure that you you talk to them, you, you bring up a, 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 some personal fact about them when you see them again, get them to know that you remember them from time to time. Well, you know, the biggest piece of advice I could give for a new doctor that's coming out and tr having their first couple patients in the office is don't try to educate the patient all at once. It's, it's one of those things that I don't, I can't speak for other professions, but I know as a chiropractor, we get taught so much information and we're so eager to try and share that information with the public that we can actually end up just verbally vomiting all over the patient with information. Right. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, how, how, uh, easy was it to train yourself to, to not tell every patient everything? I mean, you're so excited coming out. You just want to use your knowledge. This is my new toy. Did you have to rein yourself in? Did you, did you find yourself biting your tongue a lot? Yeah. You know, it, it was definitely difficult because, uh, my nature is not, not to bite my tongue. And so, <laughs> It, it, it was it was an interesting challenge for sure. Um, and then I slowly started to discover that you know, the less I the, the more I say, the less it looks like I actually know. And the, the less I say, the more it seems like I know. You know, we can only get in the way of our own selves by the good job that we can actually do and the information that we do know. Well, something we found, it, it can be hard for all of us to really get a good grasp of how we're doing with communication with a patient. So, you know, am I really getting through to this person? Are they going to remember some of my suggestions? Are, are they trusting me? And early on, I mean, take us back where your, your partner that you joined, would he come in with you at times? Would you get feedback from the nurses or staff? How, what, what kind of tools did you use to assess how you were doing? Uh, results. That was, that was the biggest thing. You know, the partner that I went in with, him and I graduated chiropractic school together, so we both had the same amount of experience, um, which at the time was limited. Um, so it was just, you know, as Keith had mentioned, chiropractic is a more hand, hands-on type of profession, so it was speak less and get results. And if we get the results, then they, they have that trust and they understand that we know what we're doing and we can help them. Do you um, use any sort of uh, survey technique with your patients? Do you, I mean, obviously you use how do you feel? I mean, that's the simple one. 
but is there anything that you actually have either written or something that, that you can actually follow what those results are? The results themselves, you're saying? That's right. And just, just the sense of how you're, how you're getting to the patient and how effective your, your treatment has been for each patient. Yeah, chiropractic is a little bit of a, a, a different animal together because, um, you know, I'm not looking to treat symptoms. Right. Uh, it's, it's not what we do at all. My, my goal is to help allow the body to function better. And so by doing that, symptoms do a lot of times resolve themselves. And so I don't really have any kind of questionnaire or, or, or things that I fill out to say, okay, this is, this is progress. This is what we've done. Um, it's, it, it more goes based on what I feel and how, how things are feeling and, right. you know, verbal cues from them are definitely helpful occasionally as well. Sure. Anyway, in uh, all branches of healthcare, you have a, um, you often have a disconnect between the expectations, uh, not only of the patient, but of the provider as well. Um, what do you do to uh, find out what the expectations of your client may be. Uh, so what do you do to make sure that the, the pa- what your patient's expectations are? And also, um, what do you do to make sure that they understand what the chiropractic treatment is going to be? Well, uh, I would say as, as far as what they're looking to achieve by coming to the office, that's actually a question right on the, the paperwork. You know, what is the purpose of this visit? You know, what what are you looking for? And uh, I often ask what kind of daily activities are being hindered by whatever you're suffering with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's how we start off the, the beginning. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I heard a phrase once that said, "Under promise and over deliver." You know, I I always tell patients the odds are definitely in their favor, um, which most of the time they are. And I don't tell them we're going to cure their body of everything that ails them, but, you know, they'll definitely start functioning better. And, and just by coming in the office, they'll be one step closer to healthy. Maybe you can just take us take us on, onto your team here. Tell us a little bit about your staff, um, how, how your staff is able to act as an ancillary for you to allow you to provide more direct patient care. And maybe just tell us a little bit about your leadership style as well. Well, as far as staffing goes, you know, uh, we keep uh, low overhead. So one staff is the most that I've ever worked with at the time. And it's it's actually a great reliever because I can focus solely on what's going on with the patient. And so I don't have to worry about stuff that I don't like having to worry about, such as collecting money, rescheduling patients, you know, making phone calls, answering the phone, things like that. And the less of that that I have to do, the more I can stay focused on the patients and and what's going on with them. So, yeah, uh, staff is definitely key for sure. Um, You know, communication is also key as far as you and the staff from from what I've seen in my office. Uh, We have weekly meetings. There's always extra training that we do to try and just get better at serving the patient and serving the, the community. Well, that's interesting. Can you tell us more about those meetings themselves? What's covered, what kind of things are brought up and, and dealt with during the meetings and, and the training? I'd be really interested to hear about 
the ongoing uh, professional medical ed education in your office? Well, as far as the meetings go, you know, we, we meet every Monday. Well, we, we have a short meeting every morning, you know, five, 10 minutes. How do you think things went yesterday? What could we do better? What did we do good? Um, and we have a very good open communication. So we're able to not take things personally and say, you know, we could have done better here. We could have done better there. We don't point fingers and blame anyone, uh, which I think is important. But we really try to take ourselves out of the situation and see what do we need to change in order to get the patient better and help people a lot better. Uh, so I think that's definitely instrumental because it helps with the communication because without regular check-ins like that, I think that things can actually easily just snowball out of control. And before you know it, there's a problem that just can get a lot worse. Um, any specific examples on a problem recently that was uh, dealt with early before things did snowball? Um. I think one of them just recently was was the our our reflex when we see somebody and we want to say hello, we automatically say how are you doing or how are you? That's that's a replacement for hello. And so we were talking I was talking with the front desk and you know when they walk in when somebody walks into a doctor's office and they ask how are you, they're actually going to want to answer that question. And so that was something that we were working on to not have the front desk ask the patient how they're doing as a hello to say hello instead. If the patient asks them how they're doing, they're able to answer it, but we don't want to try and, and turn it into this is what's bothering me today at the front desk. Right. What a great point. That's um, that's something that, to be, to be honest, never crossed my mind. And I've, I've you know, been in practice for a long time. That's an Excellent, excellent point that you just made. Um, just have it a, a greeting, have the front desk be the front desk, but save the the concern, save the the medical uh, treatment for when you get back into the into the office itself. Um, Absolutely, Michael. That was so good. Could we trouble you for one more? <laughs> uh, I I think one of the things that we can tend to do is when you have a patient that's more bubbly, more energetic, and they like to joke around and stuff, we, we kind of cater to that a little bit or can have that tendency. And then you have somebody more reserved, you kind of match them a little bit and it, it can become a dangerous game. You don't want to try to become a chameleon with the patients, you know, um, it, you want to try and I think try to keep a little bit of consistency because the more that you try to shift and change with the patients that you're working with, the more another patient can be like, well, how come you, know, you guys have a great relationship? Why, why aren't you joking with me? Or, you know, things like that can get confusing. That's a very, very good point as well. And that's, that's true. You do want to maintain um, your personality. Uh, that's part of what the, the patient will hold on to. And so, yeah, you don't want to, to necessarily just sort of play along with them. Um, and also, I, I found a lot of times in my practice, the jokiness is not um, necessarily real. And if you play into it, it actually causes more discomfort for the patient because they, they're not sure where they stand if you're, if you're uh, ribbing them and joking with them. That, that sort of undermines your authority as, as a, a caregiver. So that is a yeah. great point. Oh, absolutely. 
And Michael, that's obviously, obviously something you've been thinking about recently. Um, what triggered you to reevaluate your behavior there? Was it going to a meeting? Did you get an observation from a patient? Um, no, I'm just, you know, and again, it wasn't something that I was doing in particular. It was something that I had noticed in my staff. And it's something that I've known from the past that, you know, from other kind of coaching and things that I've done that I've noticed uh, it's something to watch out for. And yeah, I, I, I firmly believe that in order, you know, like I said earlier with training the staff, uh, you see a problem. If you don't address it immediately, it turns into a lot bigger problem. So when I see something like that, I just I try to try to mention something about it or see how we can resolve it before it becomes too big. That's great. And also great that you're on that sort of day-to-day -day basis with your staff. So if, if it does come up, you're, you're comfortable saying it and ho hopefully, presumably, they're comfortable with you to say, you know, Dr. Sims, do you know you do this or do you know you do that? And, and you can take that to heart without being um, uh, threatened by it. That's, a, I think, a very important skill. Yeah, communication is key. And it, I mean, really is how you're communicating, but it's, it's important right. in any relationship. Yeah. especially a staff relationship. So, so you did, um, well, practically a four-year apprenticeship. I mean, you worked with other people for four years. Um, yeah. There's two questions that that brings up. Um, were you aware that you were going to move on to your own practice and were you sort of taking notes? I know when we talked uh, offline, we joked a little bit about how there's some negative learning involved. You, you learn this is not how I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, so were you sort of preparing for the, the time when you had your own practice? And the other question is, how did you get the, the courage to, to, um, step away from an established practice? Because that's something that is really, really hard in healthcare. You're in a practice that is working. It's theoretically successful. The office is open. Patients are coming in. How do you make that leap, uh, into space? Well, when I was working for the other chiropractors, I was... I looked at it as just more schooling. Uh, it's a, almost like a paid internship because there's so much that they teach you in school. But once you get outside of that bubble of school and you get into the real world, um, things can change sometimes drastically. So you know, two of the doctors that I had worked with during that period of time, uh, they've been practicing for almost 17 years. And so I, they had a lot of, of wisdom and, and things to, to learn from them. But, you know, as I said, there also was a lot of things to learn what not to do. Um, it's, it's, they get into bad habits and things and you notice them and you pick up on them. But, you know, obviously you don't say anything to somebody that's been doing it for that long because, you know, egos can come and get in the way. Sure. But, yeah, it was, it was definitely a big learning curve. And then as far as going out on my own, I'm, I, I guess I'm just kind of uh, spontaneous like that. Like I just, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go do this. <laughs> and so I don't have any really fear when it comes to that, but it's just different personality types for sure. You know, I just, uh, one day it's like, okay, let's do it. And uh, now's the time. And it just happened to work out. That's great. And is, was there anything in your schooling, anything at Parker that prepared you for going into practice on your own? Is there, did they have specific classes? Were there specific discussions about, about how, to be, how to be a provider, how to be a professional? We were taught 
very well how to be a doctor. We weren't taught how to run a business. Right. And that is the biggest thing missing from uh, our education, I would say. There's there's small business classes, but they have to try and tailor it to moving anywhere in the world, literally. And, you know, just there's only small things they can really include. And so I don't blame the schools themselves, but my education as far as running a business was very lacking when I got out into business. And, you know, like any other lesson, I kind of had to learn it the hard way and, and pay for those lessons. But, you know, it's a trial and error. I was uh, fortunate enough to run in a couple of good docs that really helped guide me and give me some tutelage and, and guidance along the way. So obviously those guys were mentors for you. And, yeah, absolutely. And we've talked a lot about that in our show, the, the importance of mentorship and resources around you and, and, and also investing your own time and helping other people because uh, mentorship is a two-way street. But if you took us back to your decision to go out on your own, it's, it's a bold action in many ways, and you're in unfamiliar territory, you're, you're looking at a business that you've never run before, um, what were some lessons that you learned early on? If there was a, a student in chiropractic school right now who's thinking about doing the same thing, or someone in a group practice who's thinking about taking the same steps you did, what are some early lessons that you wish you could have, what things you wish you could have done better? Or resources you could have pulled pulled on. Well, I would say, and like I said earlier, I mean, when you're getting out of practice and you're first starting, communication with the patient is key. Uh, you know, you need to learn how to effectively communicate what what it is that you're doing with the patient. Um, that's that's extremely important. Um, I don't Did remember you go to say sit down with an accountant <laughs> for a while or an attorney? or watch, a, a, you know, the back office of a practice? Were there classes you took, books you read, resources you used? Um, no, on all of those. Uh, I didn't talk with an attorney. I didn't consult a CPA. I didn't really talk with anything about it. And I'm definitely not saying I did things the right way. <laughs> I kind of sure. did things more my way, um, you know, which is part of that learning process. I... I think I would have talked with a mentor before opening the practice. I was out, um, we were practicing for almost a year before I actually met a mentor and, and talked with them and got some guidance as far as how to run the business, how to, how to do all aspects of it and do it in a better way. Give us maybe three examples there. I mean, it could be billing, it could be uh, staffing. What were some things that were really helpful from from that mentor um i'd say one is keep low overhead and low overhead counts in all aspects of the practice whether it's it's you know billing or staffing or anything and the one they said uh go out and buy a box of a thousand cards and hand them out Hand out cards every single day, and when you're done with those cards, go buy another box of a thousand. And just keep handing them out. Just keep going until you reach a certain point. But you need to get your name out there, and the more people that know you, the more people that, or the more people that you know, the more people that know you. You know, if no one knows who you are, no one's going to come into your office. So I'd say that was instrumental as well. 
So these cards, were they basically postcards just with your contact information, a little bit about your services and, and offerings? Um, what, what kind of message were you, were you dropping off out there? Oh, no, I was just simply giving my business card. I see. And it was just a matter of fact, just walk up. Hello, I'm Dr. Sims. I'm new in the area. Call me if you ever need anything. I wasn't asking for their ailments, looking to see what's wrong, looking to see if they, what, I, it wasn't, that wasn't the point. The point was just say hello. This is who I am. If I can help, please let me know. That's great. Michael, I've been very um, impressed with your um, uh, perception of, of the interaction between uh, doctors and the patient. Um, could you sum up your philosophy of that? How do you look at a patient uh, and the care that you give? When I when I see a patient walk in the office, I see somebody who's adapted very well to sickness because most of the population right now out there is you know, to be they're sick. And so I look at it as almost like a burning building and we need to try and put that fire out. And my goal is to help that patient any way that I possibly can to try to get them out of sickness and closer towards health. That's, that's a great philosophy. Um, Michael, I understand that you made a change in your practice with the operating hours. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a gap in the middle of the afternoon where you're not open, and then you open a little longer in the evening hours. Um, is that correct? Yes. If you take us back to when you decided to do this and how that's helped your patients, but maybe some of the challenges too. You know, you may be coming home late at night. and you know, Just take us through that decision. Well, when I had first open practice, I was working more hours. Um, I... I I had a short lunch break in the middle of the day and I was also working on Saturdays. Um, and then at one point in time, I switched things. I, I gave myself a two hour break in the middle of the day. Um, so I'm there from nine to one in the mornings and then three to six in the afternoon. Um, I work until one so that I can try and help people on their lunch break. Most people take lunch from 12 to one. So, um, that was a big shift to try and help people when, when they're free during the middle of the day. And then that break in the middle of the day was great for me to actually help focus on patients better because uh, most of the time during the day, I don't look at emails and the computer and check my phone and, and various things like that while my office is open. So in the middle of the day, that allows me to catch up on those things. Whereas before, I would be checking the phone and checking the email and doing various things like that during my work, during my office hours, and I was less focused on the patient. So that was definitely a big help as well. And then removing the Saturday hours, Saturday I noticed over time that it is the most frequently um, patients will not show up for appointments or call to reschedule, and I'm sitting here on a Saturday. So I cut out Saturday hours completely. That's interesting. I, I would think a lot of people would show up because that's their one day off of work, but maybe it's a sunny, beautiful day out and they decide that maybe they do feel good enough to go out to the beach instead. I don't know. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, it's, one, it's one of those things. It's If you want something, you know, there's an old adage, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. If you have things to do during the day, 
add one more isn't really a big deal. You've got nothing to do during the day. A lot of times people are like, ah, I can push it off till later, then later becomes never. That's so true. One of the things Keith and I talk about a lot, and I can see you do this too, you're, you're structured in your, your day. You're not checking emails, allowing distractions to take time away from you and your patients. Maybe you can take us through some of the other routines and habits you have throughout the day that, that allow you to work efficiently and keep some happiness in your life. And some of the examples we've had from past interviews have been included a morning workout. Some use meditation. Uh, the daily staff meetings we've talked about um, could be even nutrition or, or other scheduled downtime. But just take us through your day, maybe from start to finish, and some things that you do consistently that have been very val- valuable for you. Well, consistency is extremely important if you're going to be successful at anything. I I wake up at the same time every morning. So I get up at 6 a.m. every morning and I get up and I I, I do actually meditate first thing in the morning. Well, I, I read a little bit and then I meditate. Then I, I eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. And then I uh, I'll come into the office Hopefully, I try to get here about 45 minutes to an hour before the office opens so that we can get the office ready and and be able to focus on and get my mind clear before I actually have to start seeing patients. Um, Traffic in a metroplex like DFW can can get to you sometimes, so you have to to try and be mentally prepared in order to see patients um, and be able to give your best to them. Uh, And then... I do occasionally work out during lunchtime, but I, I really like to really keep it light. Uh, chiropractic is a very physical profession. Um, it's an athletic profession. And if you, if I waste, if I use all my energy to work out during lunch, I don't have anything left to give the patients afterwards. Sure. And then nighttime is kind of free time after I got off at six. And, um, but I try to keep a consistent schedule going to bed at the same time. So I try to go to bed about 10, 1030 every evening because, you know, the sleep is important. And so the more consistent I can get as far as that goes, the better. That's, that's so great. Um, you know, one of the mistakes I think a lot of healthcare providers do is they try to fit so much into their time that they're always rushing. And as a result, they're always behind. I always uh, tried to get to the office 45 minutes before, too, just so I had a chance to focus, get my energy reserves ready for the day. And I think that's so important. Um, is there something specific you do when you get to the office to um, to sort of prepare for the day? Do you Are you able to sort of think about the patients that are coming in or think about the mission that's at hand? Or how do you set yourself up for the practice that, that's coming up? So when I come in the office first thing in the morning, um, you know, I go right to my my office in the office, and um, I just do a short a short little meditation almost, uh, and then I'll have the schedule there, and I look at the schedule, and I just try to think about the patients that are coming up throughout the day, and and what challenges they might be struggling with, and and then I mean the way this office runs, really anybody could show up throughout the day then, and so. Yeah, you know, I, I try to think about who I have on the schedule and then be open for whatever else happens. <laughs> Expect the unexpected. Good. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Just two more quick things and we'll let you get back. Um, the, you know, in our daily routines, meditation, I think that's really interesting. Is that something you've been doing for many years now? Is that something more recent? And 
Tell us a little bit more about that. Are you, is it a guided meditation? Is it something you do on your own? I think I've been meditating for about a little over a year now, maybe a year and a half. And meditation, I'm not as good at it as I'd like to be. I'm working consistently to get better at it. Um, but I think that it really gives a lot of mental clarity and it can really help to hush the chatter that's going on in your mind and let you focus a little bit more on what's going on around you and, and practice some present time consciousness. Um, I used to do a guided meditation right now. I don't. Um, I just, I have some soft, gentle music playing in the background and I just, I try to clear my mind and think of nothing, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you know, I think you're ahead of me. I've been trying the same thing for the past year. And one thing I've noticed in talking to people like yourself and, and reading, this is becoming more and more common, and there's clearly a lot of value that can be gained from it. So it's worth the, the daily you know, struggle. And it is a struggle because it's, sometimes it's hard to fit it in, and sometimes you don't always feel like you're getting something out of it. But then maybe after a few weeks of doing it, you look back and you say, Actually, there, there's tremendous benefit. I just wasn't seeing it every day. But I'm really glad you shared that with us because it's something we're encouraging all of our viewers to think about. And just to kind of wrap things up here, Michael, maybe you can take us through what's ahead in chiropractic medicine. I mean, are there new technologies, new techniques, new research that's coming out? Where do you see things in the next five to ten years? Yeah, the... The amazing thing about chiropractic is how how simple it is, and as far as the the technology changing, the only technology that we're working with is the technology of the human body. And you know, my job is to to look at the spine and free up the nerve interference with my hands. And so, I think the only thing that would be changing is things to serve the better the, the patient better when they come into the office because the actual chiropractic adjustment in my mind will will never really change um you know but we'll have tools that to to get patients in the office and and documentation uh you know be able to document things a little easier and be able to bill a little easier and and as far as that kind of technology goes but i see more and more practices moving in the direction that I have my practice right now and I don't have all the massage and the, the nutrition and the physical therapy and all these other professions in my office I'm working on being a master of one thing and that's the chiropractic adjustment and trying to get people better with that and be as good at that as I possibly can be and with the shifts that are happening especially in insurance today I see more and more practices moving in that direction because I think a lot of that stuff was added into the practices purely for financial reasons. And they're realizing that if you try to do too many things at once, you're not going to be as good at all of them as you can be at just at one thing. Wow, I couldn't agree more. It's very insightful, and I think that's something all of our viewers can really think deeply on. Um, because it really is your craft. and It doesn't just have to be chiropractic medicine. Everyone has their specialty. And that's often lost today in the world of multitasking and hustle-bustle. But being very good at something still has tremendous value. And with that, Michael, we got to let you get back to your craft. Um, 
We really, really appreciate your time today. We had a lot of fun, and we'd love to have you back sometime too. Yeah, it was, it was definitely my pleasure. I've never uh, done anything like this before, um, and so it was, it was an interesting process and interesting to see where the questions would go and what's going to happen, but yeah. I, I really uh, respect and I appreciate what you guys are doing um, and keep at it and keep getting – you know, we're all trying to get better every day, so you keep getting better, I'll keep getting better, and together we'll we'll help the public a little bit better too. Thank you. You you have so much to say, and and so much of what you say is so important because you're right there in the um, where the rubber meets the road. So really appreciate your time and and your uh, really candid and excellent answers. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Keith. Thank you, and thank you, Colin. Thank you, Michael. Well, have a great afternoon, and thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hope you all have a great afternoon. We'll see you here next time on Pure Spectrum. Take care. Thanks for joining us on Pure Spectrum. Please support the show by writing a review on iTunes and join the conversation at purespectrum.com. Keep up with the latest episodes and share your ideas with us on Twitter, Facebook, or email at peerspectrum.com.